this is Joy Gilfillan, host of I Change Justice, where members of the Restorative Community Coalition talk civics with people who are living in the aftermath of an arrest. People confronting the compound dilemmas, ripple effects, and consequences on their family, friends, and taxpayers. Listeners' discretion is advised for this information can be disturbing and can trigger an emotional reaction. This is about lived experiences, discussed for taxpayer education, and to advance justice system reform. It is not to be used for legal advice. Hello, this is Joy Gelfellin, host of I Change Justice podcast, and our guest today is Don Kirshner. He's the author of It's a Matter of Time and several other books he's going to talk about with you about. But the richness is that Don Kirshner was one of the inspirations for Irene Morgan to start the Restorative Community Coalition. So I'd like to welcome to the call Don Kirshner. Hello, Joy. How are you? I'm doing terrific. And today we're going to talk about solutions, community solutions, and why it matters to have lived experience people, people who've been inside the justice system, who've worked inside it, who's worked inside and outside of it. Um, on these community groups, because it doesn't work to just hire professionals who've gotten school training. You have real lived experience. Talk about that and why you've written some of the books that you've written. Well, certainly, I, I have the unique, uh, the unique uh, experience of having lived on both sides of the justice system. Um, uh, I didn't certainly didn't think it was unique in the very beginning when it all started, but um, that's what happened when I was faced with the grim reality that some of the foolish choices that I made back in the uh, early, early, in fact, it was the beginning of 1980 uh, when I got myself involved. And I put it that way because it's how I do things and did things back then with a very large drug smuggling operation. I thought it was a local thing with some guys that had run marijuana across the border when they were in college and they were all well-respected in the community. It was in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And, uh, uh, I had experienced some very difficult times starting an aircraft leasing business uh, when the interest rates hit 21% and things were just calamitous. So at any rate, I don't want to get into the details of the story, but that series of decisions that ensued over the next few years uh, just about cost me 25 years in prison because the people they were involved with were very big and went all the way up to the White House uh, in terms of the days of Richard Nixon and so forth. So it was it was a very, very traumatic circumstance. and. For me, going into it as a um, uh, uh, first-time offender and somebody that had been made good with the American dream coming out of Vietnam as a helicopter pilot, starting my own business and uh, aircraft leasing and chartering and so forth. Uh, and we were off and running and doing great. And then all of a sudden I hit bottom and found myself involved with these sinister people. And, and you, uh, were, you did get arrested and went to prison for a period of oh, time. Yeah, I, I, was, I, I was arrested. I, I can't get into the details of it now, but uh, for those people who want to read about it, um, I, it is in my book that we'll talk about later. I did write a book about it, and um, uh, and it hit the Denver Post bestseller list the first couple of weeks it was out in 19, well, later on, much later on in 2004. Anyway, I went to prison, uh, and it looked like for a while it was going to be a long, long time because uh, the people I was involved with were, were huge. Um, and I, they wanted me to testify against everybody. And I, I knew hardly anybody in it. I was just a pilot working for the old man, as I call him, the guy that ran the organization. And um, anyway, that decision just about cost me my life, let alone that. And then uh, 25 years in prison if it had gone differently. But during my first year in prison, I discovered that most inmates 
or rather I should say very few inmates could even read or write. They were illiterate. They were smart. A lot of them are very smart, but they couldn't read, couldn't write. And, and then I, I, was, I was in with a lot of Latinos and I could speak just enough Spanish that I could uh, begin to gain some trust among some of them, the older ones at first and then gradually the younger ones. And, and I found that uh, just helping, just being willing to help in the least degree, as long as it was sincere and not just trying to get over on anybody or take advantage of anyone, which I was suspected of at first as a white educated male, the very image that they had learned to hate or distrust. Um, I, once I gained their trust, um, I, I was amazed at the way and the depth to which these people could change. Once they realized somebody that had some ability was willing to help them. And uh, that's, that, that provided me the seeds for which I came to develop uh, an organization that I immediately called Return to Honor. For some reason, I didn't even know. I just, it just felt right and it has ever since. And so even in prison, my first few months in prison, I had actually started an organization and written, uh, drafted a, a proposal uh, for uh, a juvenile diversion project because I realized that most of these criminals that were now, of course, adults, were started off as juveniles. You know, they came from broken homes in the, in, in the ghettos and the barrios and so forth, where they never had a chance to begin with. You know, they were three or four years old and seeing their fathers shot over drug deals and mothers turning tricks. And it was crazy. And uh, right. so the more I got involved with them, the more I, be I became enamored, if I could put it that way, because I, I realized these were human beings, you know, guys with the tattoos and the scars and people I would uh, before in earlier years, I'd uh, cross the street to avoid passing them on the sidewalk, you know, and now I'm living with them. Yeah. And, uh, so I became very up close and personal with many of them. And be they, they became, I couldn't say lifelong friends, but I, they, I could have, if I'd have wanted to go that route, but I mean, they really opened up to me. There were times some guys that were li lifetime criminals, um, with tears streaming down their, their cheeks as I was as I was talking to them about how they could turn their lives around. I'd had a lot of uh, human growth and self-development um, experiences before my arrest. And so I don't consider myself a therapist or a degreed counselor or whatever, but I, I learned it by, by practical experience and survival. So, it was my, my way of surviving the experience, actually. So your experience before you got arrested was you were a professional businessman doing real business yeah. stuff. And suddenly your experience coming out of Vietnam made you a really incredible helicopter pilot. You end up um, making some mistakes. You end up getting arrested, going to prison for big time felony charges. And instead of going down in the dumps, you started, in fact, working with human beings, treating them as humans, realizing that you could be down for a long time and you might as well make the most of it. And that opened your mind to yes. the, the humanity of the people inside there and the loss of human potential. And then you turned that into an organization, returntohonor.org, and You've been working on that ever since. What what caused you yeah. to become to write a a book? Because something happened in the middle there where a prosecutor realized that you were not who he thought you were. Yeah, and you're headed in exactly the right direction. It was not my intention to write a book. I'm, I am a writer and have always been uh, prone to writing, and but I didn't really have that in mind when I went into it. I was I did go in as a as a aspiring young entrepreneur and and thought that's the route that I was going to take. But what happened was I discovered my life purpose. Not only 
as a writer, but as somebody that has a, has a deep sense of compassion and understanding about the human plight. Right. And uh, what, what snowballed from there, again, I'm going to put it that way, was when it, it, it became um, my work on both sides of the, of the walls, as I put it, in writing and, and in actual uh, practice, was that um, I, received, I started receiving uh, such um, attention and uh, um, praise from correctional officials, uh, detentions officials that are not generally prone to compliment or certainly endorse any inmate that saw the change in behavior of inmates. They saw it uh, so dramatically that I started getting letters in my records that eventually came, went, when, I, when I went before the final uh, legal process with my federal prosecutor, a U.S. attorney in northern, the Northern District of Florida that was building the case against the major organization that these guys I was working with were working with, that I got, uh, um, I was suspected of being one of the managers because I was, I was around them and I was smart and I was, you know, I was, I was seen by some of the lower operatives as being one of the bosses and I wasn't, but nevertheless, it had me set up for uh, uh, indictment um, as one of the major, major uh, operatives. And uh, at any rate, the prosecutor read these uh, these letters of commendation from prison and detentions officials so consistently and in such a, such a number that he had me brought out of the detention center when uh, he had all the he had all the things going that would would have nailed it for me. I would have not have been able to get out of it. I would have gone to I would have gone to prison. I would have gotten twenty five years, no question about it, because it was a hanging judge. There were four charges, uh, major smuggling and. Um, uh, conspiracy charges and so forth, and and he would have given me five years on each of four of those um, of those charges, added to the original charge that brought me into it. I would have done twenty five years, every, and without chance of parole because it was all under the RICO Act, which is racketeering. Right. But that attorney, that a U.S. attorney, read these letters from all these corrections officials, had me brought out of the detention center one night at the at the culmination of the four hearings, pretrial hearings. And um, had the uh, marshals take the chains and shackles off and waited outside and invited me in for uh, sit, to sit down, have a cup of coffee with him. No, no interrogation. No. Uh, and he looked at me and as I was looking around to see if there were microphones, he said, no, don't worry about it. This is just between you and me. Um, and uh, wow. and he, he and I sat and talked as as almost as as if we were colleagues or something. He had so much respect for for me, from letters from people in the community and letters from people in prison and jails and so forth, that, and I'm not bragging here, I'm just saying this is the stuff of miracle making, that right. turned my case around, where he, um, we talked for almost two hours, and that when he called the marshals back in, he acted as if nothing had happened. He said, in fact, he was rather caustic, and he said, you know, it's too bad you couldn't have given me more information, because I could have, I could have worked things out for you. That was just to keep them because sometimes the, the 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 leaks get go out from their their own side, and that's how people get killed. Sure. And so I went back to jail, waiting for the next pretrial hearing, thinking, "What have I just done? I mean, I've just I've just given given my honest um, story without turning on anybody, without turning anybody in or rolling over, as they say." And uh, the next month, the next Monday morning, the last pretrial hearing, he got up. When the judge called for any last minute last minute motions, and my own prosecutor stood up and said, "Yes, Your Honor, the the uh, people, meaning the United States, the people 
wish to amend their position in this case. We no longer feel that Mr. Kirshner was a manager in this organization, but rather was only a courier of information. Wow. And that, that change, those three words made the difference between a certain, absolute certain 25 years and what ended up being about two and a half years served, about a tour of a military tour of duty. Wow. So that's how so he looked at it. And so he became, and he became yeah, and he became an ally. He actually wrote the forward for my book. Wow. So I'm I'm only saying this as evidence based. People like to in government like to talk about evidence based results, and uh -huh. the evidence was my own prosecutor turned into my ally. And to this day, I can call him up and we can talk as best friends. Wow. So you went on and you've you've written now a couple books that are in the middle of writing your third yeah. book. Yeah. Uh, well, no, no. This the third book is actually done. It's going to be the one that's going. Even though, even though the first one was published in two thousand four, um, it's it's done okay over the years. But it really needs much better marketing and and a rewrite. I'm going to do a rewrite and and re-release it uh, this next year. But the current book and the second one was a love story that I don't get need to get into right now. But although it's about overcoming adversity too, uh, the current one right now is the one. It's going to be the book that I will be basing most of my work for the next decade or so on, because it's called Beyond the Chaos. It's 12 virtues and principles of living that I distilled from my some 30 years, for outside, almost 40 years now since I went into the prison system, and both inside and outside the principles that I've learned to work with that I teach and that I guide and course correct. I don't, I'm not really a teacher, but I certainly... Um, can provide some course corrections and guidance for men. And I do mentor um, inmates I, on one-on-one -on -one and, and uh, an organization I started that one I called Return to Honor. These principles are miracle-making principles. So the, can, the you go, can you go into like three or four of the key ones? Because then I want to get into how you got involved working in the uh, projects in the community that are really making other changes because that's directly relevant to what's happening in Whatcom County here right now with the justice system, with all the issues that are coming down the road. Um, talk about some of those principles that are related to that book. That oh, sure, that's that's people. that's my that's my life now. It's going to be my life's work, and it has been for for the most of the last forty years because I discovered it in prison. I discovered sure. just truth, honesty, integrity. Things that uh, we talk about, we throw words like that around and everybody seems to think that they know what they mean. But in, in reality, uh, doing something and talking about it are two different things, and especially when it comes to things like integrity, for instance. What is that really? And the very first chapter of the book um, uh, and, the, and the organization return to honor is honor. What is that really? Uh, what does that mean? Everybody says, oh, honorable and I'm honor and, you know, but very rarely do, do, do people come face to face with the grim reality of either you are an honorable person or you're not. And that works on both sides of the fences. There's honor among thieves, as they say, you know. So, so it's a verb. What you're saying is it goes from being a, a, a noun, which is you have honor or you're honorable or whatever it is, you right, have a title, right. to the verb of actually being, doing, and living with honor. Embodying, right. Embodying yeah. what that really means with the virtues that I've talked about. It's about how you show up. Do you show up with truth and honesty and integrity, or do you just show up with a lot of verbiage and a lot of show? Um, and I found in, in all of, of all places in prison, um, I mean, it's not that 
that you have honor just because you're in prison by any means. No, I mean, it's in, in prison and in jail. You're, it's like you're, you're in a, you're in under a magnifying glass. Everything is accelerated because you're watching it. You're living it day and night. You can say something and within hours, it comes back around to bite you. If you're not, if you're not real clear about it. So you learn. So you're, so you're under a microscope yourself. Yes. And you learn the quick turnaround of dishonor and yeah. of untruths and how right. fast and the consequences yeah. are significant if you screw it up. So right. it's really, a te- it's like a crucible and a pressure cooker for oh, having yeah. to learn with real, with other men who are also, you can't escape that place. You're in it. No, no, you you're that's right. It. I used to sit, I used to sit up at the top of my, I was on, when I was on the top bunk in, in the one dormitory that I was in and I'd watch it from up, up above. I'd watch people interact and things that they'd say to each other and I could just see it. And, uh, and you, you, what it, what goes around comes around and you can, within hours, if you, if you screw up or you lie or you say something or you do something that's not, it's not true. Um, it'll, 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 it'll turn on you within a matter of hours. And that's why some people get killed in there or get seriously hurt. So you have to learn, you have to learn. And I did from the very beginning, uh, that I had to be straight up and straightforward and eye contact and, and, and learn to work with energy at a level that this, and by the way, this, what I'm talking about in these, these virtues, these principles, they work on both sides of the fences and the walls, as, we, as, as I say. It's, it, it's not just prisoners or, or, or it's, it's people on both sides. You know, this, these virtues apply to everyone, man, woman, whatever culture, it could be Islam, uh, Catholic or Protestant or agnostic or whatever. These are principles of, of uh, living a truthful life, a life of integrity where people get what, you, what you're saying as being real. That's how you show up, as I talk about so the energy, the energetics of living truth in a living world, because there's no distractions. Now, right now, we're dealing with a lot of political drama. We're dealing with a lot of social media, a lot of people who say all kinds of things. And that stuff ripples out and people say, oh, I can oh. say anything I want. No, you can't, because eventually oh, yeah. Yeah. that stuff circles around. And some people call it karma. Some people say what goes around comes around. Some people say honest justice, like, but the natural world, our living bodies know, and we pay the price one way or another. Oh yeah, we do. We do. We, we, as a collective, as, as, as a, as a body of people, our society, we pay for our mistakes or our oversights or our greed or our ignorance or whatever it comes it comes out call it karma call it what goes around comes around it's all very uh, very predictable i mean so, we and we're in it we're in it. our political system right now without getting into politics particularly um is so evident of the absence of real integrity and real honesty and real clarity um passion compassion and and caring and kindness right now i think right now is the time if ever before in our lifetimes that things like pay it forward uh, and, and random acts of kindness and so forth is, is a vital, vital importance to our society. Because if we don't get this down, uh, whether you're Republican or Democrat or, 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 or apolitical, whatever, we're human beings on a planet that we're, we're headed for the, for the cliffs. And I'm not a doomer and gloomer. I'm just saying it's a reality. Either we get it straightened out and, turn, and, and start helping each other and caring about each other, no matter what our philosophical beliefs are, or we're, we're, we're doomed. I mean, I'm saying seriously, we've got to get it down now. So thank you so much, Don. Let's take a quick break and okay. we'll be right back to hear more from Don Kirshner. He's got a book coming out beyond the chaos. He's got 
Return to Honor, and he's got A Matter of Time, three books. Awesome. Thank you. Let's take a break. The Restorative Community Coalition has been in the business of reclaiming lives since 2006. We are an action-oriented coalition advocating for restorative, economic, systemic, and social change. We provide direct services, community education, and promote fiscal responsibility and justice system accountability to the taxpayers. We provide a place where transparency and public safety meets the justice system, a place where we can honor individual truth and encourage organic growth, a place where healthy debates and open conversation is welcome, a place where collaboration and compassion spotlights generational oppression and deception for the purpose of transformation. You can find us at the restorativecommunity.org on Facebook. LinkedIn, and all your favorite podcast platforms. We can be found on YouTube at the Restorative Community Coalition. So welcome back, Don Kirshner, three-time author, felon, person who's writing about the real values of living with honor and integrity during a time of deep crisis. Coming out of the COVID crisis, we're in a lot of hurt. We've got a lot of problems with defund the police with the wars and the violence about between the police and the cultural wars and racism and all this subject, you started getting active in your community, similar, but very different from what you did inside the prison system. You were released, you came back into the community and you have lived experience and you've been working with a couple different nonprofits and running certain projects. Do you want to talk about your personal project first and then Talk to us about these other projects that you're doing in the community. Certainly. Um, well, the Return to Honor program, uh, it was rather nebulous for quite a while after I got out, but I knew that I was, from what I had experienced inside uh, with my prosecutor and with inmates, um, that uh, one after another after another, whether they were Black or Latino or white bikers or whatever, consistently, my acts of kindness and respect, let's just call it respect, because that's really, you could interchange the words honor and respect um, and be the same thing. It's just how you show up. You show up with respect for one another and, or for yourself in to, in, uh, included, or you're just, uh, you're just a cork on the water or, or you know, a pinball in the life, the game of life, you know? <laughs> or a so hockey puck. <laughs> yeah, right. That's yeah, even more so. That's a good one. Um, but if you show up, People pay, do pay attention and they do trust, even if you represent the antipathy of who they, the, who they are and who they believe they are and so forth. Uh, and we always know this, and I've written that in, in one of the chapters of Beyond the Chaos about how, about how you show up. And you can always tell somebody that's in a state of integrity um, because they're clear. They're clear. They don't have to make excuses and they don't make excuses. There's just every once in a while you run into somebody like that and you just absolutely know they're truthful. And that's what I'm talking about. And uh, and there's a way to do that. There's some simple laws that, uh, that that guide and direct that type of living. And we can talk about that in, in a little bit. But Return to Honor was for several years just kind of a nebulous cause where I was um, I would counsel uh, inmates um I taught in several different jails because I was just moved to offer that and became friends with some, some uh, fairly high-ranking um, uh, sheriff's deputies and so forth that would let me, um, uh, there was a commander of um, the local county jail that allowed me to come in there with some a group of um, men from the community and just have dialogues with, um, with uh, inmates. And over a period of weeks, months, whatever, 
we found that we could change behavior patterns with inmates just by showing up without, without having any particular agenda. Um, and he was so impressed with that, that when he became, uh, he went on from there to become the chief deputy in, in Yavapai County. And uh, he had such a good heart um, uh, for, for, of compassion and caring that um, he was given as part of his many jobs and assignments and responsibilities, he was given the job of, uh, by, the sheriff, by the then sheriff to find ways of, of um, redirecting inmate behavior, even at the jail level. Now, this is so, what's so unusual about this, as you, as you well know from your experience with your own sheriff up there, uh, not something that sheriffs are, are inclined to do. In fact, shouldn't be doing. They're not, they don't have any mandate from their electorate to do uh, redirect, redirect criminal behavior or behavioral changes and so forth. They just lock them up and, and make sure they can stay warm and, and, uh, and locked up and secure. So when right. you say shouldn't be doing, it's like not part of their job description, but right. your guys exactly. stepped outside the job description and said, look, we got a problem. Right. John's got something to say. Let's start working together and start working on re-entry at the jail level, which right. is very different than what is talked about when we talk about re-entry at the prison level, because that's where Irene started too. We started when I first met you, we were working at the prison re-entry level. And then Irene and we started looking local and jails. And that's what you're talking about now is working that's locally. True. That's right. Local. And yeah, and that was actually uh, wasn't at all planned when I went up to when I went up to Point Roberts in the Bellingham area and so forth. And uh, Irene showed up at a book signing for my first book, <laughs> um, and uh, and uh, we didn't even see each other at that point. But uh, uh, she missed the actual book signing, but came and got a copy of the book, and then later got a hold of me while I was still up there. And uh, my uh, then colleague and I went over to meet with her, and we we just were so enthralled with her passion and her kindness and caring which is what I'm all about. We're talking about can't kindness, uh, you know, being so much so important right now. Yeah. And she, she is uh, one of the kindest people and caring people I've, I've, I've encountered in a long time. So I got, we, uh, my associate and I got involved with her uh, in starting this reentry program that um, mm -hmm. was then just called the Whatcom County uh, Coalition, I think. Reentry re Coalition. Yeah. And uh, so we helped her kick that off and went to several of the first, very first meetings and so forth. And eventually, when I left and came back down to Arizona, I had the memory and recollection of all the things that she went through to get that started and, uh, and how she was doing it. And then when I started getting more active with my criminal justice system down here with that sheriff's deputy, I mean, the commander of the jail and so forth, um, I was invited to uh, attend a, a conference of, uh, of um, community leaders and, and uh, justice officials and so forth on how we can do better, more effective things in, in our community. Uh, it was a two day long conference and we actually had presentations from uh, uh, the county jails uh, the, the, uh, and social services and uh, the probation department and so forth uh, over a period of two days. And then we were assigned on the second day um, to each table in the conference uh, to come up with something, some kind of a project that would benefit the community. And I was sitting at a table of probation officers, and <laughs> and, uh, and so when we broke when we broke from the uh, conference to have our little um, uh, breakout uh, session on what would we come up with for a project to present to the overall conference, um, they couldn't come up with any ideas. You know, they're probation officials and they're bureaucrats and so forth. Not to put anybody down, just to you That's know, their they job. 
Yeah. No, we could do auctions. We could do cake bakes. We could do, you know, all the kind of, you know, sort of uh, kind of humdrum things. And it came around to me and I said, well, I said, uh, I've, I've just come down from some time up in uh, Washington and uh, got involved in a reentry program. And I think maybe we should take a look at something like that. And they said, reentry, what is that? And so I explained to them, uh, this is about helping inmates, former inmates coming out of jails and prisons, get uh, back on their feet, if they ever were on their feet, to help them get on their feet and get re, re to re-enter society. And they just uh, got enthralled with that whole idea. And so I was appointed from the table to stand up at when, it, when our table was called on and to present the idea to the overall conference. And so, that, in other, so in other words, the Restorative Community Coalition being launched as the Whatcom County Reentry Coalition back in 2003 with Irene gave yes. you an idea, which then you took to Arizona and now look at what's right. happened because those guys were listening. Right. And my first book had come out in uh, uh, just before that. And then the final uh, fully edited version actually was published in, and came out in Barnes and Noble and Borders Books and Records that same year. So the, the combination of my book Oops. being available and what I had to say about this reentry program really had some merit and it took hold. And, the, and, and that has now become a very successful, fully funded, uh, grant-worthy uh, organization called Yavapai Reentry Project, which I was part of naming and, 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 and the first year of meetings with the very same probation officials uh, became a standalone, uh, very successful um, organization that has, at this point, I think, I don't know, I haven't talked with them lately, but it's well over three or 400 former inmates that have come out of, um, and it's for inmates that are, that come to Yavapai County, which by the way, is one of the largest counties in the, in, in the, in the nation. Um, so it's, it's the Yavapai County, it's a reentry project. And this is through, I think you sent me the link, hopeforprisoners.org. Is that the same one? Or is I'm, that not sure. that? I'm not sure okay. about how that, how it comes out on your end, but it's the Yavapai reentry project. Okay. Anybody can Google that, but, um, so um, anyhow, okay, that awesome. got that got started and kicked off, and it's been successful. They're, they're operating at something like a less than ten percent rate of recidivism. Awesome. They are actively involved uh, all over the county and in helping inmates that return from prisons and jails with clothes, with jobs, with uh, food, with referrals to people who will genuinely help them and become community volunteer counselors. And uh, it's so, just phenomenal. So this is the same kind of a program that Irene and I and Shanae and a bunch yep. of other people in Whatcom County, Debbie, um, Kyle, yep. all these people, we've been striving to get the Restore Life Center and the Restore Life training programs off the ground here. And we haven't had the support in our community at the same level. And law enforcement has not in the past been willing to look at it and to, in fact, embrace it. And that's one yep. of the things that we're trying to get off the ground here. But because of the restorative community coalition here, it's already off the ground. The model is there. It's the Yavapaw reentry project. I didn't even realize we were going to get that kind of endorsement um, when I asked you to be on this call, Don. And I would like to take another break. We'll be right back to talk about the next project. Thank you to our sponsors. You can find links to them and a list of our donors on our website at therestorativecommunity.org. 
You can also donate to support our direct services and our restorative community outreach and initiatives by clicking on the donate button. So welcome back, Don Kirshner. You were instrumental in helping the Yavapai reentry project get launched in Yavapai County in Arizona. And now let's have you talk, if you will, about how that then transitioned through college, high school to youth. Take it away. Well, uh, to, to touch on uh, another theme of the book, that are, my current book that's out, uh, and I say it's out, it's not fully uh, published and promoted yet, but it is finished, mm -hmm. um, Beyond the Chaos. I talk about the ripple effect, about how our actions, deeds, words, thoughts, everything carry a certain ripple action that we never know where they go or yeah. how, what the results are of the things that we do. Like, um, I believe... Um, uh, the doctor of love, what was his name? Uh, uh, years and years ago, this guy used to preach about uh, uh, kindness and caring and so forth. And he said the ripple effect, if we knew the ripple effect of a kind thought and the kind things that we do, uh, if we knew the ripple effect, we'd all be heroes because the ripple <laughs> effect can just go on. So to give you an example, the seeds of, of uh, Irene's inspiration that I carried with me in idea form and inspiration and so forth, took root in Yavapai County and became the Yavapai Reentry Project. That is, a, like I say, a standalone, fully funded uh, agency, or not really an agency, but organization that is functional today. And if we can liken that level of work, social sociological work to a, like a high school level, I can tell you about something that can't, has come out of that that's college level, which is the mental the Yavapai Justice and Mental Health Coalition that is, it practically runs this entire county now because it's comprised of everybody that's anybody in the criminal justice system, uh, education, um, politics, um, uh, justice, whatever, it's, it's, it's huge. And so- And, and that's the justicementalhealth.com. People can go yes. there and find out yeah. more about that because that is a huge, that's like bringing all these different organizations together to create policy and social change issues and other kinds of things and put it to work on the ground, right? Yep. So to go back to the original um, uh, justice official that I was uh, associated with, uh, with my time working and teaching in the jail, the commander who became the chief deputy sheriff <laughs> was, was the instrumental force in getting a $300,000 grant from the reach out i think it was called the reach out program that came out of the uh the second chance act and so forth and uh, uh he was instrumental in pulling that uh together and get and hiring some administrative officials to help create this yavapai uh, justice and mental health coalition uh that now uh, it, it's comprised of 150 at least probably more by now, but before COVID broke out, there was 150 people all wearing badges or, wow. or, or degreed officials from the colleges or uh, and all the probation officers and the uh, and some of the judges, uh, circuit court and superior court judges and the Yavapai County um, attorney all founded this um, this organization. And um, and now uh, I think they're they're working in the level million dollar level of um, of grants from um, criminal justice um, uh, 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 legislation that has come out of Congress. Wow. So, 
And, uh, oh, and a lot of the narcotics, um, you know, of the opi opioid uh, crises and the, and the lawsuits and so forth. Um, Yavapai County is, is uh, in line for like something like $30 million of that, of that op opioid uh, lawsuit payoffs. Wow. All, all going into um, criminal justice uh, work. And, and that's so, all a direct ripple effect testimony. Yes. Of kindness. Yeah. Well, when I say I mean, kindness, I'm, yeah, when I say kindness, I'm talking about stand up, uh, unwavering, um, resolute kindness, not mamby pamby, syrupy sweet kindness. Um, kindness in action, standing right. up with power to make a right. change. That's the right change of which is the return to honor. The return right. to inner honor is what you're talking right. about. Inner and outer. Yes, that's yeah. true. But it has to start inner. And I used to tell guys that when, because I can talk about respect, you know, with anybody, no matter who they are. And I can say, don't you? I'm talking to like convicted, you know, long time. Yeah. Don't you want to be respected? Isn't that what you want? You, what do you want the most? I, I want to be respected. Yeah. And you yeah. want your family to be respected or your kids or. Um, and so on and so forth. Well, you have to start within yourself. Yep. You have to be able to respect your own self when you get up before you put your feet on the ground every morning. You've got to say to yourself, I'm going to respect me and who I am and how I interact out there. And um, I'm going to do the right things today. And you yep. can do that enough times, you'll change your, your behavior patterns. It's about respect. And that's honor. That's, an on that's how you honor yourself, how you honor society. It doesn't mean you have to kiss up to anybody or or roll over on anybody, or you just get up every day and decide you're going to do the right things. And it's that simple. It is that simple. And but it's not that... easy, but it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> we know all about that here, That's right. here in our, our hometown. Um, so keep going. Tell us the next level of um, mental health, this mental health coalition, how that how, what's the bridge as it moved? Well, uh, just to back up for a minute, uh, we got off to a heck of a good start uh, just before COVID broke out. I mean, we had several meetings where there were uniformed individuals there. I mean, we're talking chiefs of police, uh, captains, um, you know, people, decision makers at high levels that were sitting on all these meetings. And we were all talking about how we work together, can work together as a community with educators and with social uh, social uh, behavior people and uh, probation people and so forth. So we're all working together now instead of everybody going off in different directions. So nobody knows what each other's doing. Um, and in the process, of course, a lot of lives get, get lost. They, go, we, they fall through the cracks. And so that's why a lot of criminal justice programs don't really work because they're not in concert with the rest of the people who uh, interact with uh, former inmates and, and so forth. One hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing. So I just saw another parallel. When you're writing your book about Beyond the Chaos, you're talking about humans. But yes. when you're talking right now, you were talking about the chaos in our administrative systems, our legal and justice systems, yes. our oh, mental yeah. health systems, our entire leadership systems are in chaos. That's right. That's right. And so that's a direct link. And, and we can draw parallels between these things because yeah. everybody's just a human being. And the chaos that I write about overall, theoretically or in actuality, is the chaos that we're, we're dealing with is a result of no real integrity, no real <laughs> accountability. I mean, when you look at our political system, sorry to say, as much as I want to believe, and I've, I wanted to be a politician when I was growing up, I wanted to be, I thought it was a noble profession. But I'm sorry to say, because it's so off the track in terms of accountability and, and integrity, um, nobody really knows how to 
make it work, make it really work for the for the end end user, which is the public. We've actually discovered from the next series of time when we were not supported locally to do the work in reentry that we wanted to do at the yeah. jail level. Yeah. Irene and I and some of the other members of the of the coalition, we've we've worked now with over 100 interns from Western Washington University, the Charter College, other places. Um, and we eventually built programs so that we could work with human beings at the local level. And in the course of doing that, I ended up having to run for political office. And yeah. what I found in running for county executive, and this is just a personal piece, but I, I think it ties directly in here. I even ran for sheriff at one point because I wanted to understand how it was that our entire system <clears throat> could be so off course. And interestingly enough, Don, that pulled me around to understanding that the Democrats and the Republicans at the local to federal level, state level, a lot of them are working on the same team because their goal is power to control the power grid. So it isn't about being on one or the other team. It's I became totally apolitical because right. it's the power grid. It's the chaos. It's the domination of the money in the local community. And now we've identified that there's patterns of, of, of tax abuse, tax addiction, abuse, et cetera. We end up way off course because we're not paying attention. We're out of integrity with the taxpayers. And so coming back and working inside this group has to be really rewarding for you, Don, knowing with your 30, 40 years here of life, being able to work with that group and bring that that justice and mental health coalition together must be feel really good for you. Oh yes, it's. Uh, I feel like uh, I feel like a combination of Johnny Appleseed and <laughs> and, Rip, and Rip Van Winkle. I just came down out of the out of the hills, and I'm seeing people that before were either, you know, my my uh, 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 jailers. Um, now respecting me and, and I, I mean, it, it, and I know we don't have a whole lot more time here. So I want to just kind of shift into the bigger picture here, which is we have to be willing. When I talk about respect, we have to be willing to respect each other, no matter what political affiliations we have, no matter what religious affiliations we have, gender, age, whatever, we have to have a basic willingness, just a willingness. It doesn't have to, you don't even really have to understand it, but be willing to understand other points of view enough that you can see and feel for the humanness in each of us so that we can, instead of finding fault with each other or pulling a gun out or a knife or, or either metaphorically or real in real uh, uh, physicality, we can rebuild, we can redirect the, the, our whole sociological process and law enforcement and all that by just doing what the sheriff, and by the way, that sheriff, that uh, chief deputy sheriff is now the sheriff. Wow. He's now the sheriff of the county. He's in wow. charge. Not only is the coalition his baby, but he's the sheriff. So he's the boss. Wow. The so he's under him. Yeah. So he's worked up through the ladder oh, yeah. of honor, integrity, yeah. justice, yeah. Yeah. compassion, decency. And now and this is all reading. part of that ripple. Yeah, this is all part of that ripple effect that is so oh. important on a national level, because if we can do this and we can, if we're willing to, we can with integrity, with kindness, with caring, real, meaningful, strong, fierce kindness and caring, we can change what's 
what I'm calling chaos right now. Fierce kindness and caring. What a phrase. You need to put that on the outside of your book or on your website. Oh, I talk about it. I talk about it all the time. Good. And, and that's the, sub the subtitle for the book is Restoring Hope for Humanity. Well, Don, what else do you want to say? Because you got a few more minutes here. What else thank do you, you. want to say? I to would you? say thank you. And gratitude is probably, not probably, absolutely, one of the most foundational attributes and qualities of character that we need to have. Gratitude and all the sages talk about the importance of gratitude. And, and that's what I tell inmates also, or former inmates or whatever, just find a way to be grateful for something every day that you get up, no matter what, always, even the hardships. My hardship was something I learned very early on to be grateful for it. And a four-time cop killer serving four life sentences taught me the value of being grateful. If you can get up every day and be grateful for something, you will you be in the right place at the right time. So let me ask you and what you would say, we had a leader in this community who got angry with Irene at one point and yeah. told her, you should be really proud of yourself because you took a wrecking ball to 20 years of planning to build this jail. And it was an insult. What would you say to him that would help him in his heart, understand that that's a double-edged sword because of her fierce kindness. We yes. did stop yes. that system. But what would you say to him to help him understand maybe how to change his mind the way that that sheriff's deputy did? Well, you may not be able to change his mind or, or, or in the case of a female, of her mind uh, by, by confrontation. You have right. to be able to step back in your mind and understand where they're coming from. And I had to learn this early on in my, my time with the jailers and the, sure. com the commander of the jails and so forth, where I was an inmate and understand that they're and my own prosecutor. They're only doing what they think is right. And, yes. and whatever, whatever deviance there might be in personalities and so forth, that's up to they have to work that out in their, with their own karma or their own sense of what values and so forth. But if you can show respect. By saying, I understand where you're coming from and I understand it, how important it is. There's just another point of view that I want to be able to sit together and talk about how we can work together to make it work for everybody. Instead of, instead of always make, having, having it be about blame or shame or harm or fear or darkness, that there's a way. If you can step back from it enough, a teacher told me one time, if you can step back away from anything in your mind, you can see and feel the forces of, of, um, of change that are wanting to happen as a result of it. But we sure. get ourselves so caught up in the dramas and the anger and the emotionality of stuff that we don't see what's really happening, that the ripple effect might be moving it, moving that pendulum back in the, another direction. So you have to give it time. You have to give it patience. You mostly have to respect. And so there's a way to do that. And that's not just talk. That's that. In, in my book, I talk about how to make these things real by everyday living, by sure. how you interact with each other with respect and with kindness, and with caring, and how you do that in a way that has lasting impact, like, like the coalition, like the mental health coalition. I'm now sitting with people that used to be enemies, you know, or what would be perceived as enemies. Sure. And we're, and we're collaborators. And by the way, that conference where I gave, where I gave that whole uh, presentation about the, uh, about the, um, um, a reentry project was uh -huh. co collaboration, cooperation, and communication. 
was the theme of the, of, the, of, the, of the entire conference. How can we live, work, and have our beings in, with collaboration, cooperation, and communication? And here we are uh, 30 years later uh, talking about things like this mental health coalition, which is setting the stage and leading the, leading the, the country in terms of uh, alternatives to incarceration promoted by and in being enforced by the sheriff of Yavapai County. So I just had an idea. I would like to host a conference call for a, a Zoom call for the people of Whatcom County, who are many of whom are stuck in these divided positions, and have you come on and serve as one of our mentors in how this happened. And maybe, wouldn't it be fun? Could you ask that sheriff if he would come on and talk with us I think about so. what it took to make this yeah. thing happen as his county? Wow, yeah. wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, I think I can do that, but we'll have to go through the lady who runs the coalition because there, she's, there pretty much, she's pretty much the the entry to him, not the gatekeeper, but the one that will say, "Hey, let's uh, get Sheriff all three Rose, of them on." Yeah, let's yeah, get well, all three of them on. Yeah, you'll meet her, and you'll instantly love her. And uh, she's dynamic, she's powerful, and she's his she's his uh, 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 seat on the on the uh, on the on this whole coalition. She's the awesome. one that runs. Yeah. We really could use the mentoring and the help because we haven't oh, cra- crack, cracked that barrier. We've hit some glass yeah. ceilings. So oh, the visual, you. the visual, yeah, the visuals of like when I say with the uniformed officers, we're talking with all the stars on their collars, the chiefs of police, <laughs> the sheriff, and all of them. That I, my mind is going, my God, this is you know, I was on the other side of that situation several years ago, and you know, here I am sitting with them one on one. Equals. We're on equal terms. That's incredible. Thank you, Don Kirshner. Thank you so much for coming on to the I Change Justice podcast. Thank you. I we'll appreciate you back. You. Thank you for the honor. Thank you all for listening. Please share our podcast with your friends and family. Subscribe at Spotify, iTunes, or from your favorite playlists. At the restorativecommunity.org, you're invited to subscribe to our newsletter, connect through social media or send us feedback on our shows. If you're inclined to help, you can volunteer, donate, learn more, and connect at info at therestorativecommunity.org. Contributing helps us empower those silenced by oppression so they can emerge into their higher potential. Thank you.